0: THE ANDALITE CHRONICLES PART 1 ALFANGOR'S JOURNEY PROLOGUE My name is Alfangor. I am an Andalite prince, and I am about to die. My fighter is damaged. I have crash-landed on the surface of the planet called Earth. I believe that my great dome ship has been destroyed. I fear that my little brother Axamili is already dead. We did not expect the Yurks to be here in such force. We made a mistake. We underestimated the Yurks. Not for the first time. We would have defeated their pool ship and its fighters. But there is a bladeship in orbit as well. The bladeship of Visser Three. Two Yurk bugfighters are landing on either side of me now. The abomination, Visser Three, is here as well. I can feel him. I can sense his evil. I cannot defeat the Visser in one-on-one combat. I am weak from my injuries. Too weak to morph. Too weak to fight. This is my de Delest. My final statement. I have formed the mental link to the ThoughtSpeak transponder in my fighter's computer. I will record my memories before the Yurks annihilate all traces of me. If this message someday reaches the Andalite world, I want the truth to be known. I am called a great warrior, a hero, but there is a great deal that no Andalite knows about me. I have not lied, but I have kept the truth a secret. This is not my first visit to Earth. I spent many years on Earth, and yet, no time at all. I landed here now, in this construction site, because I was looking for a great weapon, the Time Matrix. The existence of this weapon is also a secret. So many secrets in my life, mistakes, things I should have done. All the strands of my strange life seem to be coming together. It all seems inevitable now. Of course my death would come on Earth. Of course the child would be here. Of course it would be Visser Three who would take my life. I am too weak to locate the timeship now. I will die here. But I have left a legacy. Visser Three thinks he has won our long, private war. But I've left a little surprise behind. I have given the morphing power to five human youths. I know that in doing this, I have broken Andalite law. I know that this action will be condemned by all my people. But the Yurks are here on earth. Visser Three is here. The humans must be given a chance to resist. The human race cannot fall to the Yerks the way the hork race did. I have given the morphing power to five young humans. Children, really. But sometimes children can accomplish amazing things. I have no choice but to hope. Because it was I who created Visser Three, I who caused the abomination. I cannot go peacefully to my death, knowing that I created the creature who will enslave the human race. I came to this place this empty construction site, looking for the weapon I know is hidden here. But there is no time now. No time! The Visser is here. He is laughing at my weakness. He is savoring his victory over me. This is the Herakdalest of Alfengor Sirianel Shamtul, Andalite Prince. I open my mind in the ritual of death. I open my mind and let all my memories, All my secrets go to be recorded by the computer. This is not just a message to my own people. I hope that someday humans will read it as well. Because humans are also my people. Lauren. And the boy I have just met. But not for the first time. Chapter 1 21 Years Before the Yurks were loose. Like some terrifying disease, they spread their evil from planet to planet. They took species after species. They crushed all resistance. Their spider-like pool ships roamed throughout the galaxy. Their armies of taxons and hork all under the control of Yurk slugs, rampaged, killing, butchering, enslaving. They were annihilating entire planets. Only we Andalites stood against them. But we had been caught off guard. Our mighty dome ships, each more than a match for anything the Yurks had, were spread too thin. Our spies, even though they used top-secret Andalite morphing technology, were unable to penetrate Yurk secrets. For five years, our princes had fought the vissers of the Yurk Empire. They said the war could go on for another fifty years. Another hundred years. We were outnumbered. We had fought many battles and lost too many of them. But arrogant as I was, I was confident that if only I could get into the fight, I could make a difference. I, Alfangor, was going to become a great warrior, a prince, a hero. I was posted as an arist, a cadet to the dome ship Starsword. But so far... After six months in space looking for an elusive Yurk task force, I had not exactly proven myself to be a great hero. In fact, I had proven myself to be a clumsy, slow-witted, and quite possibly hopeless fool. At least, according to my instructors. Safengor, how many times do I have to tell you? The killing blow should be as graceful as it is fast! Sofor yelled his thoughtspeak speak loudly enough that half the ship probably heard him. I stood facing him, trying to stand light and easy on my four hooves, just like I was supposed to. At the same time, I had to think about where my weight was centered, and whether the tilt of my upper body signaled when I was going to strike, and whether the grass floor under my hooves was uneven, and whether my hands were out of the way, and about a million other things a warrior should know for tailfighting. Sofor was bigger than me. He was a full warrior, "'while I was just a lowly erist, a warrior cadet. "'If this had been an actual battle, "'Sofar would have sliced me up twenty different ways "'in less than a second. "'Maybe. "'Sometimes I thought I'd be faster and better "'if it was a real battle, not just a lesson. "'I was sure if my life depended on it, I could win. "'In any case, Sofar was not my enemy. "'He was my teacher.' Watch my eyes, not my tail, Sophor said. My main eyes, you nitwit, not my stock eyes. Keep your main eyes on mine, your stock eyes on my tail. I watched his main eyes, but it wasn't easy. His left eye had a huge scar running right beneath it. I tried to focus all my thoughts down to nothingness, just like Sophor had taught me. Your mind will never know when it is time to strike. Only your instinct can guide you, he reminded me. Suddenly, I fired the muscles in my tail. The blade tip cracked the air it moved so fast. I could barely see my own tail as it struck. The blade arced over my head towards Sofor's face, and I thought, hey, maybe old Sofar will end up with a new scar. If I landed a blow on Sofor, I would be a hero with every poor artist who had ever suffered under him. Then, swoop, whap, whap, whap! so far blocked my tail with his tail, turned it aside, and in about a tenth of a second delivered three lightning blows, one to each side of my head, and a third that left his razor-sharp tail blade pressed right up against my throat. The blow stopped just a hair from cutting my skin. If so far so much as twitched, he could remove my head from my shoulders. "'Not bad, Aristalf so far, said with a laugh, "'Not bad at all. That strike of yours could almost have hit me, if I weren't asleep.'" He laughed again and pulled his tail away. "'Remember, don't think about it. Do it. You're too intellectual. You think too much. You should be a scientist, not a warrior. There's no time for thought in a fight. There's only time for your training to join with your instinct.'" "'I guess even you must have forgotten that once,' I muttered. "'I regretted the words the instant they were out of my head. "'Sofor turned his stock eyes toward me. "'He had a dangerous expression. "'What did you say, Ariths?' "'Nothing, just... um, nothing,' I stammered. "'But I was staring at the scar below his eye the whole time. "'Ah, I see.' You've noticed my little scar. Yes, quite a nasty cut. Know how I got it? I shook my head. What was I doing, getting smart with so far? What was the matter with me? Was I insane? I got this scar from my own teacher. He wasn't as sweet and understanding as I am. He didn't like uppity Earths. The old warrior laughed at his own wit, turned away, and went galloping across the grass, holding his tail as high as an andalite half his age would. I breathed a huge sigh of relief. I looked around the dome to see whether anyone else was watching me be humiliated. The dome of a dome ship is a circular area about a third of a mile across. It is filled with grass, trees, ground rushes, and flowers. There is a lake in the middle and a stream that runs around the circumference. It's as much like home as it can be. You'd almost think you were running across any well-kept area on the homeworld. But when you look up, you see that you are in space, protected only by a clear plastic bubble, a dome. I saw other warriors running across the grass, feeding and playing and practicing their skills. But none seemed to be watching me. I replayed the fight with Sofor. How had he known the exact second when I would strike? What had given me away? What was the matter with me? Was I actually mad because Sofar was faster than me? Of course he was a better fighter than me. He'd been in more battles than I could imagine. But it still made me angry. I didn't like people laughing at me. And I didn't like losing. Through my stock eyes, I saw someone coming up behind me. He'd been hidden by a stand of trees. I recognized him immediately, of course. Arbron, we were the only two Earths. Great. More bad news. I didn't really like Arbron much. He was very competitive with me, and he still never seemed to take anything seriously. Well, hello, Alfangor, he said. Having fun with the old Yerk killer? Hello, Earths Arbron. I said so stiffly. I sounded like my own father. I don't think it's very respectful to refer to so far as the old yurt killer. He is a full warrior, after all, and our personal combat instructor. Now Arbron laughed at me. Yeah, right, Alfangor. Like you're so respectful. Teach me to be as respectful as you, please. He laughed again, and I was starting to get even angrier. It was bad enough to have Sophor laugh at me. At least he outranked me. But Arbron was just a lowly arst like me. Lowlier because I had four days seniority over him. This is a ship, not a playfield, I said. Arbron kicked lightly at the grass with one hoof in a gesture of contempt. Then he said the insult that went with the gesture. Alfangor, when are you going to get your hooves back on the grass? and out of the air. Some of us actually care about being better fighters. The people need us. These are evil times. Arbron laughed. You don't fool me. You're not some mighty prince or hero. You're just another scared, confused arts on his first big deep space mission. And by the way, you shift your weight to the left hind leg when you get ready to strike. That's how old Sofar knew. I was getting ready to say something really crushing to Arbron. But just then, there came an announcement. It was a direct beam Thoughtspeak summons. Arlf's Alfinger and Arbron to the Battle bridge. I stared at Arbron. He stared at me. We were both frozen in place. Our argument was totally forgotten, because we were both busy being shocked and horrified. See, it was impossible. "'Neither of us had ever been to the battle bridge. "'The battle bridge was where the captain was, "'and the captain of a dome ship is like one of the ancient gods. "'I mean, captains don't even look at Ariths.' "'What did we do?' Arbron asked anxiously. "'I don't know,' I moaned. "'But it must have been really out of line.' "'We're in trouble. We are in definite trouble,' Arbron said. Chapter two A dome ship is built with the dome at one end, and then, far away, far back, there are three huge engines. Zero space engines, and you probably know how powerful those are. Connecting the dome to the engines is a long, long shaft. Inside this shaft is the place where everyone has their quarters, their private areas. For Earths, the quarters are tiny. I mean extremely tiny. If you want to turn around, you have to back out into the hallway. In my quarters, I have holograms of my father and mother, of course. Plus, a wish flower representing the little brother I'll be getting in a few years. The electorate has voted to allow more children to be born, since we are in war now. They say if the war goes on for long, and there are lots of battle deaths, some families may even have three and four children. Personally, I don't think it will come to that. And even having one sibling is bad enough. Now, in addition to the morning ritual and the evening ritual, I have to do the wishflower ritual. And you have to do the wishflower ritual at the wishflower, of course, which is in my tiny quarters. And you can imagine how impossible that is. My entire back half sticks out into the hallway, and people are jostling past while I'm chanting, We welcome our hopes embodied. We welcome a new branch of the tree. We welcome... So on and so on. It's not easy being in Earths. Naturally, warriors and princes get bigger quarters. And of course, the captain has quarters so big, he can practically play driftball in there. But the captain isn't usually in his quarters. He's usually on the battle bridge. That's where Arbron and I were heading, as fast as our hooves could carry us, "'down the long central shaft. "'We're dead,' I said. "'There's no way the captain calls us to the bridge "'unless we are in huge trouble. "'Maybe it's something good,' Arbron suggested. "'Maybe he wants to tell us we're doing well in our studies.' "'Yeah, right. Or maybe he wants our advice,' I suggested sarcastically. "'Captain Fayorn, the hero of like a thousand space battles.' "'Probably wants the advice of a pair of aureths.' "'All the while we were running. "'Running past closed doors of various private quarters "'and storerooms and plasma conduits. "'Our hooves clicked on the hard, rough-textured floor. "'A prince stepped out of his quarters, "'and I practically ran him down. "'Sorry!' I yelled. "'We've been called to the battle bridge!' "'The prince rolled his eyes and shook his head. "'But he knew, when the captain calls, You don't waste time. As we neared the battle bridge, we saw more and more people in the hall. We weren't the only ones heading there. And then I started to notice some fighter pilots moving off toward the fighter bays. You can always tell a fighter pilot. There's a swagger they have. It's almost like there is a special light that seems to shine on them. When I'm a full warrior, I'm going to be a fighter pilot. There's going to be a battle! Arbon said. Yurks. I said. We're going to burn some yurks. I hoped I sounded tough and fierce. We barreled into the battle bridge just as the tactical officer, Prince Nescord, bellowed. Where in the dark sun are those two Arths? Right here, sir. I said. Here, sir. Arbon echoed. The tactical officer, the TO, looked at us like we might be a couple pieces of dung stuck to his hoof. Then he turned to the captain. Captain, the two arks are here. Of course, the captain already knew we were there. They say Captain Fayorn can practically see through walls. He knows everything that goes on aboard his ship. He stood in the center of the room, with the T.O. on his right, and Prince Briar, commander of all fighter squadrons, on his left. The room was circular, with bright monitors glowing and computer screens reeling off data. Holographic monitors created images in mid-air, and there were some sound speech info tags and thought speech computer warnings. Warriors working on the battle bridge often use hand signals between themselves so that the thought speak noise wouldn't become a jumble. At the front of the battle bridge was a large holographic image showing the space around us. We were in normal space, not zero space so the background was black, filled with bright stars. Magnify, the T.O. said. The hologram of space grew more detailed. Suddenly, it was as if actual stars, each as big as my fist, were hovering inside the battle bridge. Isolate the target and magnify, the tactical officer said. Now the hologram showed just a slice of a single star. It was an average yellow star. I glanced up at the readout above the hologram. It showed that the star had nine planets, gas giants on the outer edge, smaller planets in tighter orbit. The sixth planet was front and center in the display. It had a rather beautiful set of rings. There he is, Prince Breyar said. He was very calm, but you could tell he was a predator looking at prey. I searched the hologram of space for a clue. Then I saw it. A tiny bright point that was moving against the background of the ringed planet. Was it a York ship? I think we have a Skrtna raider, the captain said. Yes, captain. The T.O. agreed. He's accelerating. He'll be able to go to zero space in twenty minutes. Sensors show he came from the third plant in this system. On screen, Captain Fayorn said. Suddenly, the hologram shifted and we were looking at a small planet with a single large moon. The planet was blue with swirls of white and land masses that were brown and green. What do we have on this planet? There is a sentient species there. They have achieved orbital space flight and have landed on their moon. Sensors show presence of nuclear weapons. And we're picking up transmissions in various parts of the electromagnetic spectrum. All in all... Probably a level 6 civilization. I would recommend... The captain cut him off by raising one finger on one hand. Then the captain turned his head and his main eyes toward Arbron and me. He looked right at me. Right at me! I felt my blood turn to sludge and my brain grind to a halt. Tell me, Arthes, the situation. We have a scritnar raider leaving a level 6 civilization. 20 minutes till he's safe in zero space. What do you recommend? No, this wasn't happening. The captain really was asking my advice. Clearly, I was dreaming. What do I recommend? I asked, feeling the knife edge of panic. Um, uh, um, dispatch fighters on an intercept course? Is that a question or a statement? The captain asked. I sucked in air and tried not to faint. Dispatch fighters for an intercept. Send two on an intercept course and bring two up behind on a chase vector. And you, the captain said, turning his awful gaze on Arbron. What do we do when we intercept, and why? The Skritna are smugglers and renegades, and they sometimes serve the Yurks. So we board the Skritna ship and check for any violations. He said it perfectly, like he had rehearsed. Then he blew it. And if they put up a fight, we put some tail into them. The captain, the prince, the T.O., every warrior on the bridge, and I, all stared at Arbron like he was insane, which he obviously was. You don't say, put some tail into them, to the captain. That's something you say in a schoolyard fight. The captain looked at Prince Briar and the tactical officer, he shrugged. I guess we'd better do what the two Earths say, eh? The big one looks like he's ready to faint, and the other one thinks he's you, Briar. That got a laugh from everyone on the bridge. Launch fighters. The captain said. Oh, and those Skirtnau ships are so cramped inside, we'd better send along a couple of our people who can move around in there. Now. Who do we have that's small enough to fit inside a Skrytna freighter? Suddenly, I realized that everyone on the battle bridge was looking at me and Arbron. And then, I realized we were both younger and smaller than everyone else. And that's when I almost did faint. The captain was going to send us into battle. Hello, Phanomorphs, and welcome back to another episode of Audiomorphs the Animorphs, Auditory Experience. As usual, I'm your host, Daniel. And we're here with the first of the Chronicle books, the Andalite Chronicles. I consulted like three or four different uh, reading lists compiled by people online, and most of them said that it should come here right after book 13, so that's where we're gonna put it, because I think the other option was uh, before book one, and obviously... That ship has sailed. So, uh, I'm gonna ask a little patience from everyone as we move forward in this book. Uh, I work on a very pretty tight schedule for recording these, actually. It's, I I read the chapter on, like, uh, Sunday and Monday and record, and then I edit Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So, I don't really remember all that's in this book, so, and I'm not reading ahead, so I'm, I'm just trying to come up with, uh, my very limited range of of voices, uh, for all these brand new characters on the fly, and so, I'm, I don't think I've quite hit Alfangor yet, um, so bear with me as, as I settle into these new characters. Uh, speaking of Alfangor, also, uh, I felt Because originally I gave him like a very, very low voice uh, when when the Animorphs first meet him the construction site, but this is like 21 years before that, so I feel like he's a younger guy, I gave him a little bit of a higher voice, but then my voice keeps on trying to pull into Axe, so then it goes a little too high. Again, I'm trying to settle in, so thank you for your patience while we get there. Uh, The only other thing I want to say this week is to be sure to check out theapodcalypse.com. That is my website that I pay for. It has all the stuff I do in my free time, which currently is mostly just this, but I have another project uh, I'm cooking up that I will talk more about once it is here. Uh, Also, if you use Apple Podcasts, be sure to give me a rating and review there. I love hearing feedback about Uh, The stuff I do. If you don't use Apple Podcast and you still want to get in contact with me I guess that's weird, because you can do that Well, you... never mind. Uh, You can also reach me at audiomorphscast at gmail.com and audiomorphscast.tumblr.com Okay, Uh, I think that is all I have to say, so I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.